You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Breaking news in South Africa yesterday concerned the IMF and the South African economy. It says here, the decision by the International Monetary Fund to grant South Africa's request for emergency financing under the Rapid Financing Instrument, the RFI, is a critical and positive turning point for the country's economy. The undertakings provided by the South African government, it goes on to say, in its letter of intent, are particularly significant. This was penned by Peter Leon, partner and co-chair at law firm Herbert Smith Freehills, in respect of that IMF decision, and Peter Leon is with me now. Peter, yeah, the RAND liked it. The bond market didn't particularly react to it, but it seems a step in the right direction. And when you say at the end there, particularly significant, is it something that we haven't seen before from the government? In other words, a step in the right direction. Yeah, well, there are a couple of things, Lindsay. I mean, you know, as you know, South Africa took a loan from World Bank to build Magupi and Kasili for, uh, with ESCOM about 10 years ago. But is it the, the ANC government have never gone anywhere near the International Monetary Fund. This is the first time this has happened, uh, admittedly under some form of emergency, uh, under the financing instrument, driven by what's happened to the economy um, this year, particularly in the light of COVID. So I think that the fact that they've approached the IMF for financial assistance, and the IMF has granted that, is a very significant step. And although um, uh, lending under a rapid financing instrument or rapid credit facility is not the same as one under a normal standby arrangement where there would be quite onerous conditionality, um, I think the proof of the pudding with this particular exercise is contained in South Africa's letter of intent to Kristalina Georgieva, the uh, head of the IMF, in which... um, the government make a number of undertakings, one around uh, imposing a debt ceiling, which I think would be rather necessary given the fact that you know, the government's managed to blow the debt-to-GDP ratio uh, well above 80%, which is very, very bad for a developing country. But more importantly, uh, in the letter of intent, um, the government, for the first time, uh, starts to embrace some of the things the IMF have been saying for the last couple of years about both product market reform and labor market reform. And I think that is, and in addition to that, uh, around reform of state-owned enterprises. So this is a letter signed by the Governor of the Reserve Bank and the Minister of Finance to the head of the IMF. So, I mean, that is something that the IMF will judge the government by uh, in terms of this facility. Yes, you say here, most notably, the government has for the first time undertaken to introduce a limit in the form of a debt ceiling on the amount of debt it is able to incur through the combination of the spending ceiling, which is currently in place, and the debt ceiling the government aims to reduce public debt, which it suggests will peak at 87.4%, quite specific, of GDP in 2023-24. Now, a couple of years ago, if, if the word IMF and South Africa had been used uh, in the same sentence, we would have thought, oh, things are really bad. But I think because everybody else has their begging bowl out because of circumstances beyond their control, i.e. COVID-19, it's almost as though South Africa is saying, well, we can slip under the radar. And in fact, the RAND has strengthened because of this, whereas two years ago, if we'd have gone to the IMF, the RAND would have probably weakened dramatically. Yeah, I think the market sees this as a step in the right direction. Obviously, they'll have to sterilize the dollars coming in. I've read something about how they're going to do that to make sure the RAND doesn't appreciate too much with this very substantial capital inflow. Because in RAND terms, it's around 70 billion RAND, mm. the $4.3 billion. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's really what's in the, the letter of intent 
uh, around uh, structural reform that is the most interesting thing here because I've never seen anything from the South African government which has indicated that the government's serious about product market product market reform and labor market reform. And the product market, one of the things the IMF and the World Bank have been saying to government for years is that you need to have, uh, you need to, to embrace uh, more trade liberalization uh, and more competition in the, mar- in the market. And as part of that process, you need to break up or bring competition into network industries. And when they talk about network industries, Lindsay, what they mean is things like electricity, where you have you know the, the Eskom stranglehold over electricity generation, ports, rails, and harbour, rail and harbours, yes. because you know given so that, that historically those have all been monopolised by the state. No competition exists for any of those, and so South Africa has some of the high, highest port charges in the world as a result of that. So basically, the government's saying, well, that's something we will look at, uh, and also enabling um, labour market reform. In other words, opening up the labour market, which is also very necessary. So in other words, what you're talking about is liberalisation, but also uh, part privatisation from what you've just said. That's what it looks like. I mean, obviously, these are, you know, these are fairly uh, vague, but the fact that they're being said is, you know, I, I, I think very significant. Um, because one of the other things the letter of intent says, it would make that the idea here is to... Uh, provide greater ability to hire labour uh, and make it easier for first-time workers to find a job, and that's you know that's really going to be very interesting to see how the unions respond to that. Yes, given indeed. the stranglehold they've had over the labour market in South Africa traditionally. South Africans, in, I was there for twenty-eight years. I've now sadly had to move out, but anyway. The point is, particularly in the last sort of 10 to 15 years, South Africans are very, very good at sitting around the table and talking, mm. talking a good game. But then after the talking has been done and the tablecloths have been taken off the tables, mm. they go away and nothing is done. This time, of course, the IMF is watching over us, looking over our shoulder. How prescriptive mm. are the IMF going to be, or is the IMF going to be, rather, when it comes to this, uh, this facility? Uh, they're obviously going to say, right, why have you spent a million there or a billion there or something like that? That is the important point to me. Yeah, it is. I mean, here, you know, they've lent South Africa the money. Uh, here, here's the undertaking that South Africa's given the IMF, and the IMF will judge South Africa by how it meets these commitments. And as I suspect, I mean, I don't, I mean, frankly, uh, I, Lindsay, I don't see how South Africa is going to get the debt ceiling down to 87% in 2023, 2024. But leaving, leaving that aside for one minute, I, 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 um, I, you know, I think the government at the end of the day is going to have to go back to the IMF for a much larger loan, for a standby arrangement. I was going to say, yes. In the next few years. Mm. So when they do that and they haven't met these commitments under the rapid financing instrument, they're going to have a problem. And, you know, I, I, I've seen uh, recently with Zambia, where Zambia uh, has gone to the IMF for a similar facility under the rapid financing instrument and hasn't been given one, uh, simply because Zambia hasn't been sufficiently transparent about the extent of its borrowings from non-concessional lenders, particularly China. Uh, and, uh, you know, the IMF basically said, we're happy to carry on talking to you, but for the moment, no. So, I mean, the IMF controls the purse strings, and uh, if it says no, there's not much you can do about it. My final question was going to be, this seems like almost uh, a loan ahead of a bigger loan. It really does seem like that. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, yeah, so I, what you're saying is not yeah. enough. 
No, it's not. But I mean, it. it, it I, I do think South Africa has crossed a line with this because, exactly as you said in your introduction, I mean, the, the, for many, many years, the IMF, the World Bank, the lesser degree, but basically the Bretton Woods institutions are absolute anathema to the ANC, mainly because of the structure adjustment programs uh, the bank and the fund imposed on African economies in the 70s and the 80s, which had all embarked, the countries in question had all embarked on a uh, process of nationalization uh, and then underwent a process of privatization. And in many cases, those countries, I mean, Zimbabwe was one of them, uh, just couldn't meet the terms of the structural adjustment program. But look, I think the IMF uh, have, have softened over the years. The, the structural adjustment programs are less rigid, and I think they do take into account uh, local market conditions and public sentiment. But at the end of the day, I mean, the IMF is a lender, and it's got, not going to lend to a country which is unable to repay or meet its conditions. Mm. Okay, so a step in the right direction is the way I would look at it. So we've got this money, we may need more in the future, but at the same time, it's not going to be misappropriated by certain parties that might have occurred in the, in the past because it's going to be under the stewardship of the IMF. So good news, Peter. Exactly. And the, the one thing, you know, obviously people are going to talk a lot about, Lindsay, is, you know, what happened to South African Airways, given the 10 billion rand, uh, which is now needed to recapitalize it and start a new airline, which I think, frankly, is just... Stupid. Mm. Uh, uh, but but uh, there's no way, and I think the Minister of Finance has been pretty clear about this in response to an application made by the opposition uh, around uh, the funding of SAA, that the money is not going to be coming from the Treasury. Where it's going to come from, I don't know. But I think he's, Tito Mbawini, he's been quite careful uh, in terms of saying the government will mobilize the funds, but it's not going to actually provide them. So the funds will have to come from a bank or some similar institution which I think is going to be very wary about lending them at, at this stage. Yes, yeah, so the 70 billion that we're talking about here from the IMF can't just be uh, used willy-nilly, uh, but it might no. uh, provide some sort of collateral for a loan from a bank to stupidly rescue SAA, which has been, it seems to have been on my radio and podcasting uh, service for about the last 12 years, uh, Peter. It's an, abs <laughs> sure. it's an absurdity. I'm sure, yeah, it's extraordinary. The government wants to you know, save and run or start again another state airline, given all the demands on the fiscus, just, you know, yeah, doesn't just... make any economic sense whatsoever given the demands on, on the treasury and the public purse. Yeah, just taking the same aircraft, the same people, the same engineers, the same pilots, the same stewards and stewardesses yeah. and just painting the tail a different colour and maybe calling it something different. Yeah. It's, 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 it's nonsense. Anyway, Peter, thank you very much for your analysis. That's Peter Leon, partner and co-chair at law firm Herbert Smith Freehills. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.